Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, folks. Welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. And I am very excited to talk about last night's Denver Nuggets win as the Nuggets defeat the Golden State Warriors' final score, 108 to 105. It was a fun game, a, a very fun game to attend. Very weird game, and then probably not the best in terms of, man, how, how beautiful did this one look? How, how awesome was this? Uh, but in general, it was still an enjoyable experience. And anytime you get to see Nikola Jokic and Stephen Curry get to duel it out, especially in crunch time, that is obviously a fun thing for sure. Uh, once again, I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn. I'm the host of the Pick Axe podcast here on Mile High Sports. I also host the Alley Oop podcast on uh, the Alley Oop with Ryan Blackburn. So, Make sure to go check out both of those. Hit the like and subscribe button down below here for Mile High Sports. And if you can, hit that like button over there and that subscribe button over there as well. All right, let's get into the game. Let's talk about what happened last night without Jamal Murray again. uh, It's very clear. uh, Adrian Wojnarowski came out and basically confirmed something that I've been saying for a little bit here, that Jamal Murray was going to be out for about a month. Jamal Murray is about to be out, and Denver is going to have to survive, and they will survive. They'll be fine. They, I, It's one of the stats that I came up with prior to the New Orleans game was that the Nuggets are, like, they basically have a 60, 60% win percentage when Jamal Murray doesn't play in the last four years, and the biggest reason for that, obviously, is Joker, but Denver also has a variety of other depth pieces and guys that can help them survive, and it is pretty reasonable to expect Denver to be pretty good over the stretch, despite the fact that they don't have Jamal. Even though it kind of puts them into a bind, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit here, but it was cool to see Denver kind of rise above that in clutch time and figure some stuff out, and Reggie Jackson had some big moments, and KCP was great defending the point guard position, and Denver, they're, they're going to be fine. They're going to be okay without Jamal, and they can give him as much time as possible to rest and recover, make sure that he is going to be the best version of himself when he comes back around. Uh, But it is good to see Denver kind of just put their foot down and continue to prove that they're the best team in basketball. Uh, Let's go through it. Jokic, at the beginning of this game, uh, he finishes with 35 points and a dominant stat line, obviously, but In the beginning of this game, he was doing the thing once again where he is trying to generate the three-point shot. He's mad at himself for missing the threes and is just trying to get those to go down as soon as possible. And I'm not not really surprised because he is such a perfectionist on the other aspects of his game that when he's missing threes, it almost probably feels like a glitch in the matrix for him where 
He expects to make every shot. He expects that he's going to uh, make a difference in all of the categories as opposed to just inside the arc. And there there are certain things that he's trying to work on. And uh, Just watching, I, I was talking about this with Matt Moore at the game last night, just watching him bang with Kevon Looney every single like time he went into the paints, I could understand why he probably wanted to take a, a three, why he wanted to step outside and, and make sure that his three-point shot is going, and, and there are reasons why he can definitely take those shots because it's going to save him some pay, some wear and tear, some pain on his body throughout the season. You don't want him banging in the paint the entire time. I, I, I wouldn't want that either. More of what I was hoping for him in general was just take the 15-footer, leverage your, your mid-range jumper a little bit, and, and he never really got to that other than one time in clutch time, if I, rec- if I recall. Uh, also, he had a Sambor shuffle at the beginning of the game, which, hey, I thought, okay, the touch is looking really good. Let's go to that. Let's go to that. But he uh, he decided he wanted to go for the threes, finished the game one of eight from three, and he's very clearly trying to get that to go. He's now down to 33% on the season on three-point shots, which is, it just goes to show how volatile percentages are because he had been shooting a great percentage before basically the last two games, and now he's down to 33%. So, look, it's going to be fine. Denver is going to be okay. Like, if that's the weakest part of his game is only being a 33% three-point shooter, he is so automatic everywhere else. Other than maybe the the free throw line, that uh, he's, he's going to be fine. But to that point, lots of guys missing around the rim. Lots of guys at the restricted area kind of in the paints were missing, whether it was from a Kevon Looney contest or Andrew Wiggins or... Trace Jackson Davis or Dario Saric, like Denver, for whatever reason, was doing pretty poorly at finishing at the rim throughout the game. And there were very many times where a ball just kind of rolled off the rim or, or even Denver just kind of fired up a, a brick, like not even close to getting it to drop when they're shooting from the restricted area. So kind of a surprise that even without Draymond Green, the Nuggets kind of struggled in that area of shooting around the rim, but they are uh, one of the better finishing teams around the rim. And the Warriors were actually, I I looked this up, they're close to the bottom 10, like kind of that 20th range in terms of what other teams shoot in percentage when defending them. So I think this game was an aberration. I think this game kind of symbolizes a, a tired team, a team that is definitely... They've they've got some stuff that they've got to figure out, and and they've got they've got some rest that they need to get to. Like Denver's got three days off, as I see in the in this uh, this graphic over here. Um, but it is interesting to see what they'll do over the course of these next three games or three days, and and whether that will really benefit them because it does seem like man they they got a little bit tired in this game and and kept the Warriors in it because of how tired they were. Gordon asks, Ryan, can you address why our best five-man lineup by far statistically has been the starters with Reggie Jackson in place of Jamal? That was true even before Jamal was injured. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I was actually talking about this with Matt at the game last night. And the, the biggest reason is defense. For for whatever reason, I think the, the numbers last night before uh, the actual game. With Jamal in the lineup with the starters out there, Denver was defending at like a 114 defensive rating, which isn't horrible, but it's not great either. Like Denver as a team is now 107 point whatever. 
And that's that's really good. That's tremendous. That is that is a good number to have. Unfortunately, one fourteen is not good enough. With Reggie out there, it is one hundred, or that's at least what it was before the game last night. And to me, that says there's a couple of focus things. There's a couple of things where Reggie specifically, but also the team, I think, is very comfortable and at ease when Murray and Jokic are out there on the floor, and they probably don't defend as hard as they need to. There are definitely aspects where they're facing the other team's starting lineup and they're getting the best punch from the from the opposing team most of the time. And I can't really point to anything that Jamal is doing specifically on the defensive end that Reggie's not doing or that Reggie's doing better. So I, I think it's just noise. I wouldn't really consider it too, too much, Gordon. I, I would say that this is probably uh, one of those statistical anomalies at the beginning of the year that will kind of figure itself out by game 40. But I, I am glad to see that the defense with Reggie has been so good. He has been capable. There are a couple of plays every now and then where he will kind of miss an assignment or they'll get back cut. And Reggie's man was the guy that, that did the back cutting. But uh, it is interesting to see that their defense has actually been way better than expected. The offense is just fine. The, like For both units, the offense is just fine. So not really too worried about it. Um, We should mention Porter, too. Alex says uh, Porter Jr. came up big. I agree. I think that Porter has been awesome to start the year. And it took him a little bit to kind of get going. The, the defense was always mostly there, but the offense kind of struggled a little bit. Now we're seeing him really take control on the offensive end in some ways. And I like the way that he approached the beginning of this game. I like the way that he approached the fourth quarter when, yeah, Denver's down going into the fourth. I think they were down like five. And Porter on both ends made some really, really big plays. Uh, I'll talk about that from a couple of different angles. Let's just first focus on the Porter side of things. He comes back in in the beginning of the fourth and makes two help side blocks when he is kind of Helping out his man is is not involved in the play. He roams over from, it was actually the strong side, not the weak side. And he comes up with two awesome blocks, just being as tall and as physical as he is. There was also a play at the beginning of the game where he missed a block on Kevon Looney. And like if this is the ball, his hand goes over the top of the ball before it gets shot for whatever reason. And then Looney gets the end one. It was very interesting, but Porter, I think, is seeing the game in a really, really effective way, and I think he's starting to realize how good he could be as a rim protector in some ways. Might might just be kind of a, a fluke thing in, in this particular instance, but he was going after shots, and he was going after help side defense. That was a very interesting facet of his game. Back when, uh, in the 2020-21 season, Basically, his last fully healthy season where he was at his peak athletically in the NBA. He averaged basically one steal and one block per game. And I'm not surprised that you could kind of see him getting back to that level. You could kind of see him finding out how he can impact the game, reading the game a little bit, reading the floor a little bit. And he looks better physically right now than he ever has with his back. And that, I think, is allowing him to move and to put himself into better positions to succeed. And that's been great. Uh, but on the offensive end, too, like he, he deserves just a ton of credit. At the beginning of that quarter, 
Denver basically has a, a baseline out of bounds play. They have 1.1 seconds left to get up a shot. And you could see the look in Porter's eyes. He knew that the ball was going to come to him. They ran the play for Porter. And it was the one where he basically sets a back screen in the middle of the paint and then curls around to the three-point line, like near the baseline. So like kind of a, a semicircle. And gets the shot or gets the pass, takes the shot, falling out of bounds, hits it. Should have probably been a three. He might have had a, a pinky toe on the line, but just a tremendous looking shot. And it's just like you could see the impact. You could see the way that he impacts the game. 17 points, 7 of 17 from the field. Not his most efficient outing, but still very helpful. 3 of 8 from 3, 8 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 blocks. Was a plus 13, tied for the team lead in plus minus. In a game, the Nuggets only won by three. Uh, Denver starters were fantastic. The only real stretch that the starters or any starter really had that was bad was when Jokic was on the floor with the bench at the end of the third quarter. And I guess we could kind of let's let's table that discussion until the second segment. But starters were really good. Jokic goes for 35, 13, 5. Three and one, like he was, he was awesome. Just in general, this you got to read that the stats because they are tremendous. Aaron Gordon had fourteen points, eleven rebounds, three assists, three steals, and a block. Like the defensive impact was there for the group against a Golden State Warriors team. Like yeah, they didn't have Draymond Green, and he does create a lot of open shots, but they still got Steph Curry, and Steph only had twenty three points last night, and he did it on seventeen shots, which means. Denver was very good in terms of limiting the number of shots he got up and also contesting as many of them as possible. There were very few times where Steph actually had an open shot. Sometimes they're open for him, but those are ones that, like, look, if he proves that he's Steph Curry to you, fine. Like, you, there's only so much that you can really end up doing. Uh, look, it's just, it is nice to see Denver lock in on the defensive end. They're currently seventh in defensive rating, and a lot of that is because the starters have found a nice rhythm on the defensive end. They are not kind of dragging down the numbers. I remember last year during the regular season, the starters were kind of meh. They were kind of eh. And the bench was actually, in some instances, they were very good. Some instances, they were very bad. But they were kind of hit or miss. The starters now, are they have a great baseline for, hey, this is good. This is good defense, and the bench then gets to come in, and sometimes they'll be great, sometimes they'll be poor. Uh, but it's good to see Denver really commit to that end, and at least at the start, it's very nice to see Denver really take this seriously. Uh, they have absolutely done what they needed to do, and the starters have been the, the leaders of that. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to chat about uh, the bench and some of the things that Michael Malone said last night, I thought were very, very interesting. But first, everybody, this podcast, as you know, is brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Did you know that you could refer a friend and earn a $50 bonus this season with Superbook? Superbook is the most trusted name in sports wagering, and you don't want to miss their refer a friend bonus. All you need to do is click on the refer a friend link under your profile in the Superbook app, share the promo code with friends and you will get a $50 bonus for everyone who registers using your code. So win money wagering and bet on the best with Superbook Sports. Make sure to visit Superbook.com 
for all those terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLING. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. We're back. Pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast, as always. Once again, if you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, five stars, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast, that would be fantastic. And if you're watching this on YouTube, then please make sure to hit that like and subscribe button down below. It helps us out tremendously in terms of people understanding that you like the show and that you, that you enjoy the content. So probably the best way to support our work here is just by hitting that like button and that subscribe button. Let's go to the bench. Let's talk about the bench here. And I think probably the most important thing when discussing the bench is first starting with the age of the bench. Uh, <laughs> it is, is a young, young group that Denver put out there. Without Jamal Murray, you move Reggie Jackson into the starting lineup and you start Colin Gillespie, who is 24 years old. Christian Brown is only 22. Julian Strother is 21. Peyton Watson is 21. Zeke Naji is 22. It's a tough group. It's it's a tough group to when you when you play them all together against the Golden State Warriors, a team that was clearly ready to come in and and work pretty hard and uh the the bench on on the Golden State Warriors out of things, they were kind of all in that plus 4 to plus 9 range. They did a pretty nice job of winning those minutes and and making sure that they put pressure on Denver starters once again. Uh but the bench for the Nuggets was all minuses outside of Justin Holiday, who came in in the fourth quarter and gave Denver a nice boost. He played about seven and a half, eight minutes or so and hit a three. He grabbed some rebounds, played his defensive assignments, and, and did what he needed to do to help the Nuggets win a game. But before that, Michael Malone was pretty unhappy with the with the bench production, and I think he was pretty unhappy with the way that the bench really approached the game. They They were not ready. They were not ready to play, and there were, I think, a number of reasons why. I think a ready-made excuse is that this team has played so many games and so many minutes so far early in the season, and there's a lot of pressure, especially on the young guys. Like The older guys know where they're at and know kind of the, the pacing that they need to be at for the beginning of the NBA season to start well and then get off to that hot start. The young guys are still just trying to figure life out. They're still just trying to figure out what they're supposed to be doing. And I look at the bench that they're running, and there was a time where they, they used the all-bench group in that first half uh, with Gillespie, Brown, uh, Strother, Watson, and Najee. And none of those guys really got a rhythm. And I... Colin Gillespie, it's hard to really blame him. He's a two-way guy. He's not some. He's not supposed to be in the rotation. He is in there because of injury. And it wouldn't surprise me if like they're, they're going to continue to give him run. They're going to continue to try to make things work. But it just wouldn't surprise if, if they decide, hey, let's let's see what Jalen Pickett has at some point. Um, I'm not going to say one way or the other what I what I believe should happen because I'm not smart enough to really make that work because we just don't really know. It's nine games into the season. Uh, but what I have seen so far from that from that bench group that I'm a little bit disappointed in, 
Christian Brown has not made the necessary progression as a creator. There are some things that he's done okay. There are some things like when he's in transition, when he's attacking the rim, when he has a lane, it's very clear that he knows what he's supposed to do. He excels at that. He draws contact and he does a nice job of making things happen in in that aspect. And then when the open pass is there, he moves the ball. So far, though, Christian has really struggled in the half court, especially when he's asked to create something out of nothing. And if I were to, like, look, I never played a game in my life. I'm not going to sit here and say I know better. But when I watch Christian play right now, I'm watching a guy that doesn't really have a plan in terms of getting to a specific spot on the floor and getting to a shot or a play, whether it's drawing over the defense and kicking out, dumping off to somebody under the rim, or drawing contact. I am not seeing a plan with him. And when a team doesn't have Reggie Jackson out there, when they don't have a starter out there, somebody kind of needs to take control. And honestly, the ball kind of feels a little bit better in Julian Strother's hands right now than it does in Christian Brown's. And that is not good. That's not what should happen. Because Christian, I think, if he is somebody who is going to be a piece of Denver's future, that's something he has to do. And I know that people are going to come back to me and be like, well, Jamal Murray's out, Ryan. They're not going to ask Christian Brown to do anything in the playoffs. I'm talking about Christian's future career as the idea of helping him become the starting shooting guard of the future or even step into a larger role where, because right now, even the Bruce Brown role at times, like Bruce could create something out of nothing. He could. It wasn't always pretty. It wasn't always perfect, but he could. Christian is really struggling. He's driving into nowhere and he's not really creating or setting up any moves. And that I think is really hurting him. So I think that that's one thing that if I were him, if I were the Nuggets, I would be looking to try to do over the course of the rest of this regular season where you come up with a couple things that he can do, that he can get to a specific move in the half court. Because there are so many times where he's on the right wing or the left wing, tries to drive one way, spins back the other, realizes, okay, there's nothing here, and then kicks it out to somebody else with five seconds on the shot clock. And more often than not, it's Reggie Jackson trying to bail Denver out. And that's just not good enough. Like He's, he's got to be able to cre- create something better than that. And when he does drive to the rim, he kind of chucks something up there. And it is a, it's kind of a Hail Mary kind of play. So he's got to find a way to create something a little bit more effective, whether it's with a floater, whether it's with just kind of a, a nice crossover that he gets to his left hand or he gets to the, the comfortable hand for him. He has to find a way to become more stable because if he does, then he's a guy that you can consistently feel good about playing in the playoffs. Right now, I, there, there's at least the possibility that he gets cut out at times. And people don't want to hear that, but it's true. Other guys, just a sec. Reggie, uh, not Reggie, uh, Julian Strother played a very brief amount of time. He was not good in his minutes. He was not ready, and he was a minus 12 in his eight minutes. 
uh, clearly not ready to really contribute. He made uh, he took one three and airballed it. That was basically his only offensive touch while he was out there. And that's one thing where look, I know that he this is it's very interesting to see how a guy reacts to getting their career high, especially a young player, because I don't know what his mentality was going into the game, but he shot that ball as quickly as he could when he received it and. He airmailed it by a lot. So he seems like he kind of amped up a little bit, just missed it. He's got to find ways to settle in and get something easy. Kind of like Christian, where at least Strother, like he's shown the ability to get to the floater. He's shown the ability to get to the rim. They've got to find more opportunities to do that for him if he hasn't really taken a bunch of threes or he hasn't gotten into the rhythm of the game. They struggled to get into any sort of rhythm whatsoever, the bench did. And it's why Michael Malone was so unhappy. He called me, like he said, I'm not the Salvation Army. I'm not just giving out minutes here. Like that's, that is a bar for one thing, but it's also true. And it's also, I think, a good uh, reminder that Denver has these big goals and they have to get some of these young guys going in the right direction. And to this point in the season, they have for the most part. This is a kind of a one-off they haven't had too many games where they haven't been ready to play. And I mostly still feel really good about the young guys. It's about staying the course and making sure that they learn from the experience and are ready to go in the next uh, go around. Uh, but should be interesting to see how they handle it. Uh, Strother is, is one of those guys that, like I, I said in the last podcast, I think he needs to play. I think he needs to be a part of things. And I still do agree with that. Denver's got to find ways to could to continue getting him involved and making sure that it's not just the one touch from three and that he can do a little bit more uh, because that ending third quarter sequence where he was on the floor with Christian Brown, Peyton Watson, and Colin Gillespie, Nikola Jokic was kind of orchestrating everything all the way through the end of the third. And he just really wasn't trusting anybody to really do a, a two man game with. And I don't blame him because None of those guys were really playing that great. They were not handling the pressure well. And whether it was Peyton Watson kind of driving to a crowd, missing a layup, Gillespie, not, not really like he, he had a nice three. And I do do want to give him credit for that. Uh, I, I think that was what he did last night. Yeah, he had a nice three, but he didn't really attack beyond that. And Christian kind of gave up the ball a ton and, Strother never really got involved, and it's just it was just not a great showing from the group. Zeke Naji is also very uninvolved, not necessarily his best performance, and it's just there's a lot of pieces. Denver's still trying to find ways to blend those pieces together and have somebody that's the straw that stirs the drink. Last game, uh, not this, uh, not against the Warriors, but against the Pelicans, it was Strother. In games like this, not really sure who it is. Somebody's got to step up, and nobody really did. So that's why Justin Holiday got into the game, and glad that he did, because Malone has to start establishing that. Like, If the young guys aren't going to be ready, then I think it's very fair for Malone to bring in a veteran guy and say, look, this guy's ready to play. Some of you are not. And I don't know who he's talking about there. I don't know whether it's just kind of a collective, we need a spark, let's go get a guy who hasn't really played. We'll find out. We'll find out going forward. All right. 
Let's take another break. When we come back, we are going to chat about some early MVP convo conversation stuff, as well as how the Nuggets are going to handle their rest. We will be right back. But first, this uh, ad from Pickaxe and Roll. That was my face. That's crazy. That's, uh, that's very interesting. Um, that was that was my face with a mustache, which Michael Malone made sure to mention for whatever reason in the in the pregame last night. He was he was shocked that I did not show up with a full mustache. I decided to shave it off, and uh, it was very polarizing in the in the media room. Lots of people had opinions for whatever reason. So uh, no, I, I I always enjoy the banter. Malone and I have a good relationship, and I, I think he uh, he knows that. Respect goes both ways, and, and I think he think he respects the work that I do. All right, final segment here, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Let's chat with, uh, let's chat about the MVP conversation. I put together what I'd call a preliminary top five list for the players that should be leading the MVP race at this stage of the season. This is sicko work. This is not something that I think. People should really take too seriously because, like I said, it's it's so early in the season. We're 10% of the way through. And I'm actually going to do quarterly MVP checks on Alley-Oop. Uh, so that is going to be something that you're not going to want to miss. If you are interested in the MVP conversation, I'm going to do it with Matt Moore, who is very invested in the MVP race. And I'm looking forward to being able to chat about that with him. Should be a lot of fun. Should be good. Uh, let's start with Nikola Jokic, though, who I think absolutely deserves to be leading the MVP race right now. Just going through and looking at the stats, looking at the numbers so far, he has played an extra game or two beyond other people, but he is currently second in the NBA in points, first in rebounds, third in assists. Uh, that's gross. That's disgusting. And it is frankly insane that he has been that productive. He is not going to stick at second in points, I don't think. I, I think that it's very unlikely. And, and once Jamal Murray comes back, I think Jokic is probably more likely to cede some of that offensive responsibility to guys like uh, Murray and, and Porter Jr. And uh, Aaron Gordon will stay involved and, and they'll try to get somebody like Julian Strother some more time and things like that. But uh, Jokic in general has he's averaging like 29 points per game right now, which is nuts. He's at 62% from the field, and the team is the best team in the NBA with the best record. And so you've got the best stats, you're on the best team. It feels like a very, very easy sh open and shut case, at least at this point. But then you got Joel Embiid. And Nuggets fans are probably going to be rolling their eyes a little bit, they're probably going to be like, Ryan, there's no way that Joel Embiid can win. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to say one way or the other because, look, these three or these two guys have been top two in the MVP race for each of the last three seasons. Jokic won the first two. Embiid won this last one. And the way that Embiid is playing right now, first in points per game, fifth in blocks per game, the defense has been tremendous. He has been really, really good on that end. And just 
I think the, the Sixers especially have really exceeded expectations so far where Tyrese Maxey has really been the, the primary reason for that because he's made a leap. But Embiid is really kind of tying everything together. He's passing better. He is doing a lot of important things. And I know Nuggets fans are, are very bothered by this and, and don't necessarily want like Embiid to continue to get that shine. He has deserved it this year. And, and I think that especially at this beginning, we're, we'll, we'll see how long it continues for and, and whether the Sixers can stay at this level, whether Embiid can stay at this level. But right now, I, I would say that he's clearly second. Like I don't, I don't think anybody else has, has really challenged that seriously. And I mean, Sixers are six and one. Like I said, they have the second best record in the NBA, and that counts for something in this discussion. Number three, we just saw him, Stephen Curry, seventy-one percent true shooting. The Warriors have exceeded expectations early. I think it's pretty clear to like those that watch Steph Curry just how impactful he is. On nights like last night, where the Nuggets actually have a good defensive scheme that can shut off some of his water, and they held the Warriors to 105 last night, and Steph did a, or like Steph created as much as he possibly could, but he also didn't have a ton of assists. He didn't have a ton of rebounds or anything like that. The all around impact for him just isn't there to really crack the top two. Like with Embiid and Jokic, you're getting offensive and defensive contributions. But you're also getting like the, the rebounding and the physicality aspect. They're doing everything for their teams. With Steph, he's not. He is doing a very important aspect, and the plus-minus really often reflects that. But also the plus-minus is reflected so far with the Warriors that Chris Paul has done a lot of good things and the bench has done a lot of good things. And if you look at the numbers from last night, don't want to just bemoan it here. Steph was a minus 10 in 34 minutes. Chris Paul was a plus 5. The reason why the Warriors were able to survive was because of the bench. It was because of their their bench being impactful. The Nuggets starters were clearly better. Jokic was clearly the best player on the floor. And that, to me, I think, that seals the deal for that. They're like, look, there could have been an opportunity for Steph to really put his name forward in, in the conversation like this, but he is not at Jokic's level. He's just not. So I think this is a fair place for him to be. Number four, Donovan Mitchell. Cavs have not been great, but Donovan Mitchell has. He has been really, really good. He's averaging like two and a half steals per game as well. Uh, 31, five and five. And Mitchell has been carrying them early. There have been some weird things with them. Garland has shot like 13% from three. Jared Allen missed the beginning of the year. And I just think that Evan Mobley in, in some ways has not lived up to the scoring expectations that many have put upon him. And Donovan Mitchell is carrying a lot of that. He's been doing a lot. So credit to him and, and credit to the way that the Cavs have played around him. I think that they, like, they're they still probably going to be a 50-plus win team. They're still really, really good. Got off to a little bit of a slow start, but Mitchell has been tremendous, and he's probably not going to finish in the top four, probably not going to finish in the top five. But early on in the season, nobody else has really stepped up. Throw him a bone. Donovan Mitchell, you are a top five MVP candidate at this current moment. And number five, Jason Tatum. Lost a couple games lately against the T-Wolves and against the Sixers. I think that Tatum's been really good. I think that he's been pretty dynamic in general. 
some of the efficiency stats, especially towards the end, have, have not been great. But for the vast majority of, of the early part of the season, he's been really, really good. And the, the Celtics have been really good. I don't think that their supporting cast is going to do him any favors, though, because I think a lot of people see Jalen Brown and Drew Holiday and the way that Derek White has played and Kristaps Porzingis, and they see all of this like talent, and they see all of these guys that are, are really capable and really helpful. And I think a lot of them are looking at this and be like, you know what, Jason Tatum, you're not super valuable individually because the rest of the team is so, so good. So good around him. And that doesn't really surprise me at all. I think that there is clearly a gap between the impact of Jokic and even Embiid and then the impact of Jason Tatum, especially during the regular season. Now, Tatum, I think, is a better playoff player than somebody like Embiid in the playoffs. And uh, Steph, obviously, is, is above both of them. But I can absolutely see in a regular season, if the, if the Warriors are not Warriors, if the Celtics are going to win something like 60 games, then you're probably going to want to credit one of those players. Now, is Tatum going to be good enough individually in order to kind of accept that? Maybe. I don't know. His actual like advanced numbers, when you just look at the overall impact in comparison to some of these other guys, whether it's Anthony. Actually, I should shout out Anthony Edwards as well. Uh, he didn't make my honorable mentions, but uh, Tatum is like, he's on a great team. He is not a singularly impactful player in the way that some of these other guys are. Honorable mentions, I have SGA, Luca, and Tyrese Halliburton. I'm going to throw in Anthony Edwards there as well. Anthony Edwards has been great. He's been tremendous. The plus-minus impact has been really good, and he deserves a ton of credit for the way that the Wolves have gotten off to a great start, although they are a good team around him, to be clear. Uh, like With Ant specifically, First in defense for the Wolves, Rudy Gobert is really punishing the rim, and, and he's, he's preventing anybody from getting within 20 feet of it without feeling his presence. And then Cat hasn't really started off great, but the rest of their team, whether it's Jada McDaniels, Mike Conley, uh, I like their bench guys, especially Nas Reed. Nas Reed has been awesome. Uh, Six-man-of-the-year candidate, Nas Reed, that would be cool. Uh, they they are great. Like that that is a that is a good Wolves team, and Nuggets fans know because they got to see it firsthand. But that is a good team. SGA Nuggets fans probably didn't see the best version of him, but outside of the two for sixteen game, SGA has been awesome this year. Luka Doncic has been awesome the entire year as well. Tyrese Halliburton's averaging like twenty three points and twelve re and twelve assists. Like that's a crazy number, and he's shooting very efficiently and leading the best offense in the league. So something to be said for that, if the Pacers are going above and beyond. I don't think any of those guys have been good enough to really challenge so far, but Luca, like maybe if, if the if the Mavericks continue to stay above water and they're close to fifty wins as opposed to forty, then I, I don't see any reason why he can't crack this. Uh really, really good stuff. And I, I'm not sure if OKC's good enough. I'm not sure if Indiana's good enough, but I could absolutely see Luca and the Mavericks being good enough if uh, if they get up to 50 wins. So should be fascinating. Um, All right, that's it for MVP stuff. Seven in 11 days, Alex brings us up here, just kind of talking about all of the games that the Nuggets have played so far. Now Denver's three days rest. They have three days off here. 
They will probably practice on Friday. They'll probably practice on Saturday. Maybe it's going to be light. Like I, It wouldn't surprise me if they go pretty heavy on Friday and they go pretty light on Saturday. You could flip those, obviously, just depending on what, what the team needs. But they are going to be off until Sunday against the Houston Rockets. And that should be good. That should be good for the team. Playing a bunch of games in a very brief amount of time, this is going to give them a little bit of that extra uh, a little bit of extra time to try to get relaxed a little bit and, and get Murray back. And he, he's not going to be back for that Houston game. That's clear. Like He actually went out, Murray did, and warmed up at his normal shooting time, like about 35 minutes left before the game started. And he wasn't moving at all. He was not jumping. He was not running. He was not jogging or doing anything like that. He was very stationary. He was like pretty grounded in terms of that. So he is clearly taking time and he's clearly not feeling comfortable enough that he can do some of those things. So like uh, like Woj said, and like I've been saying too, it's going to be about a month with them. So I would not expect them back until maybe the play-in tournament, if we're being honest, where you could go to Vegas if you're Denver. I don't know if Denver's going to be able to reach that without him. Uh, they've, they've only won one game in the play-in tournaments. And the next one will be against the Clippers in five days uh, on the 14th, I think. So that will be something to pay attention to. That will be something to think about. But in general, Denver's going to have to survive. They're going to have to figure out how to play without Murray. And they've done pretty well throughout that throughout their careers. Reggie Jackson has been great. Colin Gillespie has been fine. Julian Strother's been up and down, uh, to say the least. And Christian Brown probably needs to be the guy that steps up to me the most because he's the guy that in the situations that Bruce Brown was down, in the situations that, that or not Bruce Brown, in the situations that Jamal Murray was down, Bruce Brown was that guy to step into the lineup, no problem, fill that gap. Christian Brown's not that guy. Like He's a little bit different, but he has to be impactful in other ways. He has to find ways to create. And if he's not going to do that, he's got to shoot. He's got to hit his shots. So. Got to take him, got to make him, and he's got to make free throws too. That's a that's just another aspect. So looking at that over the course of these next couple of weeks, and I hope everybody will look out for that as well. So I think that is going to do it on this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning into the show. I really appreciate all the love and support on the podcast, as always. Uh, going to do an in-studio episode recorded tomorrow that should get up in the afternoon at some point. And then Weekends with Swipo will be either Saturday or Sunday, uh, depending on our schedules, depending on what the Nuggets are kind of doing. So should be fun. Everybody, Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Really appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. As always, uh, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, do everything you can to keep supporting the work. I really appreciate y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys very soon. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early 
so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.